This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego. Providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey and thank you for tuning this morning. Uh, I started the investment show about 28 years ago where we discussed finance, investing, and the economy. Uh, it is a call-in show. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. You're uh, calling in for that unbiased, uh, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. Uh, if you're looking at buying, selling, or holding a equity stock or any investment, I guess, we'll take a look at it for you. Give us a call at 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473 for that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to look at or talk about. And good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Well, kind of a crazy week this past week, and uh, some reality has kind of hit the markets where they don't just go up, do they? Uh, I know. It's uh, crazy to think about that, uh, hey, things can pull back, right? I mean, yeah. we, we've been talking about this for quite a while now, and I mean, we've been saying for months, we don't know when it's going to happen. Yep. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you it's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, but hey, maybe we're in the midst of that 10% correction now. I mean, we'll we'll have to see what happens. Maybe we go back up on Monday. I, I don't know. Yeah, you, you don't know, and that's one thing, too, and we'll kind of get into our main topics here. But that's one thing you don't know with investing. You don't know when it's going to go up, when it's going to go down, but you cannot panic and just cancel out and go to cash 100% because you think, oh, my gosh, this is it. Everything's over uh, because you're right on Monday. It could go up, and then, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And uh, I'm not sure percentage-wise how much we're down, uh, and what is kind of funny, uh, the market's falling because of inflation fears, which we'll get into a little bit more. Uh, but what's not happening is interest rates did not turn around and go up, which normally happens with rising inflation. And that has helped the high-tech companies. Well, I, I'll, I'll say it's interesting. I was just briefly looking at an article here before the show, and they're saying the problem is the flattening of the yield curve. So it's the concern is now the Fed's going to – increase the short-term interest rates faster than anticipated, but the long end of it, mm -hmm. the 10-year note, has not increased. In fact, it was down 4% uh, yesterday, which a flattening yield curve is is actually dangerous for, you know, banks in particular, right. a lot of kind of, I'm going to say, value stocks. I, I I just really think the 10 the years wrong here. I, I just, I don't see how we can keep a 10-year note at 1.4%. I, it just uh, was it 1.49 or close at 1.4. It was around 1.4, I believe. I, okay. I had it pulled up. I, yeah. I mean, let's see here. Uh, 1.45. So I'm between 1. where okay. we're at. In the middle. <laughs> yeah, because right, uh, yeah, I think the high did uh, peak 1.7, which again, nothing goes up. And we said by the end of the year, we expect to be around two. But I didn't think that every day I was going to go up, you know, 0.1% by December 31st to be at, at two. I mean, it goes up and down. But it is kind of surprising that the information comes out or the news comes out that oh my gosh inflation is here it's going to be terrible and so forth the fed's going to increase but also too the one thing that they're talking about they're going to increase at the end of 2022 so more than a year and a half away 
Well, the other thing that you have to realize with the Fed is they have different tools that they can kind of tap, and, and one of them is their bond buying program. Right now, I want to say they're buying about $250 billion a, a month. Or I forget the exact time frame that they're doing it. Of, I think it's monthly. Yeah, yeah, I think it's $250 billion. And I, again, this is off my memory, so I don't right. have the, the exact <clears throat> facts in front of me, but it's a large sum of monthly buys in the bond market. Well, if the Fed's a major player, they're creating demand for these bonds. Well, all of a sudden, that's going to continue to keep the interest rates low because what happens is demand's high. That actually increases prices and depresses yields. So I'm curious to see if the Fed starts to announce that they're going to pull back on bond buying. If all of a sudden now you see that 10-year yield creep up, you get that steepening in the yield curve. And it also is kind of strange because usually you do that when the economy is suffering. I've heard talk of this year we could have a 7% GDP. Uh, there is not any risk at all that I see of the economy turning going down. So it is questionable why they're actually doing this bond buying every month because that would, would allow interest rates to float back up. Maybe they are concerned that it would uh, change things too quickly for them and therefore the economy could do a quick turnaround. But I just don't see that happening. Especially with where we're at now, the you know the pandemic is towards the end. Uh, people feel better. They're going out. They're going back to work. So um, it, there's some very positive signs. I don't see any negative signs at all. Not like a year ago. So. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a time to consider easing up on the easing of the yeah. monetary policy. <laughs> so, well, let's get back to uh, some of our notes here, talking about the increasing interest rates because inflation concerns have brought some volatility to the market. Uh, to begin, remember in the short term, stocks move up and down, <laughs> even though people now seem to think stocks are just going to go up all the time. Uh, should we be concerned with inflation? Well, the Fed has moved up its target for increasing the Fed's fund rate in 2023, whereas before it believed it would not occur to 2024. And actually, I said the end of 2022. It's actually the end of 2023, I guess. So it's even longer. I have some other yeah notes here. It actually. keeps changing, too. Yeah, and, and you have different Fed officials, and that's the thing yeah. before. It used to be 2024, as you said. Now right. it's 2023, and we do have some Fed officials that do believe 2022. Actually, looking here, uh, the Fed showed that officials expect to raise rates twice to about 0.6%, and right now it's at zero, Right by late 2023, which is sooner than anticipated Back in March. So, I mean, we're talking just a few months later. Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. like all of a sudden, oh, last year we anticipated that. It's just a few months later. And, you know, at the time, the meeting official did not expect to move rates until 2024. Now, 13 of the 18 Fed officials, so a, a large majority there, at the meeting said they expect to start lifting rates sometime in 2023. And here's where I think we're going to start to see more of them filter into the earlier camp of increasing rates. Because seven of the policymakers penciled in a rate hike as early as 2022. And I know uh, Bullard, who's a, another Fed official. Was, He's well known, yeah. Yeah, I was talking yesterday, and he was talking about 2022. So, I mean, you're just three away from getting a majority of Fed officials to, to think 2022 yeah. is when we should start hiking. Yeah, and, and they still continue to signal that inflation is transitory uh, as we open the economy. And, I, and I, I have to agree to some point here. But if you look at the labor crunch, its impact on supply chains paired with a huge ramp up in demand, it, I mean, it's just no wonder uh, we are seeing a, a major ramp up in prices from some areas of the economy. 
Yeah, I mean, in particular, the Fed did point to lumber as an example, which did see a major spike over the last year, but has since pulled back 40% from the highs. So, I mean, I, I want to say it was up like 300, 400%. From yeah. the I mean, we saw this huge, huge spike in it, and now we're kind of pulling back as the supply side of it starts to become resolved. But I will say lumber is still up 150% since the start of 2020, so by no means is it inexpensive to where it was at last year. And the Fed also believes a similar situation will occur with used cars, which have been seeing massive increases in prices. I mean, these are just some examples of how I think inflation is transitory, but it, it's just really hard to ignore the money supply here for what I'm going to call longer-term inflation, sustained inflation. Yeah, when you look at M2, which is uh, you know looking at cash, checking deposits, and easily convert accounts like money market accounts uh, above $20 trillion in April— uh, this is nearly 30% higher than we saw before the pandemic in February when M2 stood at $15.5 trillion. Hard to say the trillion. It's such a big number. Uh, but again, that's an increase of $5 trillion in the money supply. Uh, we believe this is just too much money in the economy to see to not see higher inflation rates. Because remember, inflation is just the uh, caused by too much money chasing too few goods. And you definitely have that with too much money. And the reason why there's too few goods is that there's still people, and it is terrible when you go to a restaurant. You can feel it. You're sitting there waiting for your food, and you see these people running around. They're, they're short, you know, waiters or waitresses. We went to a, a restaurant on, uh, what is it, Thursday for lunch, I think it was. Yeah. And they apologized. They go, we're sorry. We only have two people working in the kitchen. I think they had two waitresses, too. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, four people running at a, at a lunch hour. Um we need to get rid of, we won't go too far off topic, we need to get rid of that extra unemployment so that people can say, yeah, I, I'll make more money if I go back to work. And, and I think the labor is going to become resolved uh, within the next year. The other issues are the supply chains that, that we discussed. I mean, we kind of had people shut off manufacturing last year in particular areas. So now you had, well, lower supply. Right. And again, now you have this this crunch in the supply chain which is why we're seeing prices elevate so much, like we talked about with lumber and, and used cars. I mean, that's the chip shortage yeah. that, that we know about. Um, but that is, is something that I think is going to cause transitory inflation at an elevated level. I don't think you're going to see lumber prices spike again 150% yeah. next year. I, I don't see that happening. But I, I think, as you said, with all of this money in the economy, I think you could see inflation around 5%, I think is what they're estimating for 2020. One, and then it might level off still around three, four percent next year. Right. And then maybe we see more sustained inflation around two and a half, three percent. And don't forget, before this, the Fed's target was two percent. Right. And, and also, too, just kind of playing with the numbers a little bit. Uh, we talked about uh, lumber price uh, backed off 40 percent. That's not equal to it gaining 40 percent because you're now 40 percent off of a higher number. So, therefore, that could be, gee, they had to go up about. I forget how to do the calculation in my head, but I think they had to go about 70% to make that 40% drop there. Yeah, so well, I mean, just know. to make it simple, let's say something goes up 200%, it goes down 50%, well, now you're only up 100%. That's a good way to so, yeah, That's yeah. an easy way to kind of look at how the percentage gains and losses actually are impacted in a different way. Yeah, and, and, and again, and, and people get too excited. And you have to remember when it comes to investing, you have these high-frequency traders. You have these people... Especially now, you might have some people who have no idea what they're doing investing-wise. They could be just like panicking and selling out. You don't sell out of your good equities, your good businesses now, 
just because of short-term time frame. It's so amazing when I look at you know clients that we've had for a long time frame, um, how they've done over the longer term by not panicking. And I still remember Peter Lynch, a well-known investor for the Magellan Fund many years ago, said people have lost more money uh, preparing for the corrections than the corrections themselves. And I think you said last week, we'll just repeat it because it's important, uh, we have a correction every, uh, on it's average, every, once every year, I think it's once every 14 months is, yeah. is the exact So time. why do people panic so much when it comes up? Like, oh, it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because people are emotional. I mean, it, it, yeah. it feels so good when you're up, you know, 20, 25%. I mean, last year, you know, the market did 16%. And, wow, this is great. This is so awesome. Whoa, I... I'm down 5%. I'm down 10%. I'm losing money. <laughs> yeah. And they, the problem is they, they don't look at the long-term return. The, they'll start to look at the peak to the valley. And, right. and that's where you really have an issue as an investor because you're going to panic every time. Well, I had this and now I have yeah. this. That's not the way to look at it. You're investing in, again, businesses. Because uh, we, we talk to clients that are business owners and we say, during a down period, are you going to look at selling your business? <laughs> oh, no way. Right. Same thing when people own real estate. Oh, are you going to sell if your house falls 20%? Oh, no way. My house is worth more than that. <laughs> I don't understand people's ideology when it comes to equities that, well, yeah, I better sell and get out. Every other asset class, it seems like they're like, <laughs> oh, no, it's worth more than that. Well, it's the same thing. You got to look at the business. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, gosh, I'm going to use Costco. I love Costco. I'm going to Costco right. today. I think Costco is expensive right now. Yes. But if it was trading at good valuations and it fell, let's say, 70%, I don't know. If it trades at the right multiple, that might be a great buying opportunity. Yeah. But the problem is people, they panic over it. Now, oh, I'm down. I better get out. And, you know, we might buy it on the way down. It might go down another 20%. 20% is a huge loss. Yeah, it is a big decline. But the problem is you have to look at the worth of the business, which is why we look at the valuations <laughs> and – that's why people get emotional as I think they don't wrap their arms around what they hold in the portfolio and they see the decline where they can go touch the house. They, they're in their business. They can sense yeah. that. But it, with I, stocks, it's different. And I think it's probably, too, because they don't know the value of what they have. Uh, and I remember a long time ago, there was a saying called uh, a stockbroker knows the, the price of everything and the value of nothing. Well, people have the same fault is that they, they just because it's going up. They give it value like, oh, it's worth something. As soon as that turns around, goes down, they go, oh, my gosh, it's, it, it, it's, it's terrible. Um, they don't know how to. And that's why we do the show here for, gosh, I've been doing it, what, 28 years now, um, to give people something to kind of look at. And again, it's not the end of the research. We always say it's the beginning of the research. But to give you some, some guidance here to help you understand that, yes, this is worth, worth looking into. No, it doesn't appear to be way overvalued. Or, yes, it does appear to be way overvalued. So to give you the numbers, and that's what it is. I mean, that's what a business is. It's a balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow statement. That's what it really is. So uh, I, I want to kind of stick on the inflation a little bit here because sometimes it seems as if no one cares about inflation, uh, or, or maybe I should just say half the population uh, doesn't care about inflation. The reason for that is nearly half the population was born after 1981, which was the last year and I couldn't believe this, but it was the last year of double-digit consumer price increases. I mean, it's hard to fear something if you, you don't know what it feels like. Unfortunately, many younger people today aren't listening, but perhaps in the 60s and 70s, the younger people back then didn't listen to those to experience inflation in the 40s. And, and the question is, will it be different this time? And it's funny, you look at 1981, I mean, that's kind of when we, we saw interest rates really peak, and, and I think that's when we had, what, 17% uh, mortgage rates and and things that were just very, very high on that 
to combat that high inflation. Yeah. And and that's the thing again that, that people don't understand is those people in the seventies, do you think they were thinking like, oh, we're gonna have twelve percent inflation? No, they weren't thinking about yeah. that. There, there's no way. And and you talk to people who were at lunch the other day and talking about mortgage rates. And, you know, um the person we were with was talking, I think she said she had a mortgage around eight percent or something. And it's like when she first did it. When she first right. did it, yeah, years yeah, ago. Not, not years recently. Ago. That'd be not, terrible. No, no, no. <laughs> but my point is it's younger people can't even fathom that idea of right. paying that much on a mortgage rate. But in reality, it could very well happen within the next 40 years that at some point we're going to have interest rates climb back to those levels. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, right. but it's a very real possibility. History does tend to repeat itself. Yeah, and it really does. And, again, we're not saying next four years. Don't worry about it. But uh, things can change. And uh, – and it'd be a difficult climb up. And if you look at the, because back in the, uh, uh, in the forties, I mean, interest rates were very low yeah. and in the fifties, and then they climbed through the fifties, sixties, seventies. And oh my gosh, now we have a 12% mortgage rate. Um, that can happen, but it does take many, many years. And that doesn't mean you panic and sell your equities, your businesses. You look to see what businesses and businesses do benefit from inflation. It is a more longer term aspect to look at it. But you, that's why you should be investing anyways. If you're playing a stock market gambling game like at the, the casino, then, yeah, you're going to have good days and bad days, and you're probably the end going to lose. Same way you do in Vegas. So uh, lastly, let's talk about that. When I saw this, it's, and again, kind of goes back to how much money's in the economy, but it's a, a liquidity issue uh, of banks uh, coming up, maybe turning away customers, depositing money into their accounts. You may say, well, why is that? Banks never would turn money away. Well, banks now have more cash than they can use and actually, when you look at the, the amount uh, in, in the account, we're talking over $17 trillion banks are sitting on. And with all the cash in the economy, businesses are not borrowing, and the banks are sitting there with nothing to do with all that cash. Yeah, I mean, this is just uh, more proof of how much liquidity there is in the economy. And we've talked about consumers' balance sheets and how liquid many of the consumers are at this time. And we talk about the money supply. I mean, with that said as well, let's take a look at how much cash companies currently do have and this is s&p 500 companies excluding the financial companies they had nearly two trillion dollars of cash on balance sheets at the end of 2020 that was up 25 percent compared to the prior year so it's like companies have cash people have cash the government's giving away money i mean we we have lots of money in the economy that's not the problem we we still have the opportunity, I think, to kind of resolve some of this and get people back to work, get the economy chugging along. When you have this much in the economy, I think we could have, again, a boom this year and then a very good year in 2022 just because of all this cash that the companies have. They they can go out and improve the business through capital expenditures. I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see more acquisitions out there of other companies, mergers. I mean, there's just so much potential to create a boom time here that I do worry about, I guess, 2023, 2024. But we'll see what happens there. I mean, yep. it, it can continue. It, it just has to make sure we're, we're on the right page. And, and the thing, too, and I've talked about where cash and debt does roll between the government, businesses, and the consumer. And uh, right now, yes, the government is pretty pretty uh, deep in debt right now at this point in time, but it's in the economy, which eventually will be, come back out of the economy and go back to the government to help pay down some of that debt. But also what could happen, which I hope more for, is that the economy continues to grow, people pay more taxes, and the government, and I, I was very happy to hear, I don't want to get too political here, but I was happy to hear this past week that I guess, uh, uh, I'm going to call them the socialist Democrats, 
they want six trillion dollars for for their programs, and they're saying that there's a, another group with Republicans and Democrats that are looking more like a trillion. So I'm hoping that that's going to be the end. You know, one trillion. I think that's where the infrastructure that Trump pulled out together. I I could handle one trillion, but they said there doesn't appear to be any chance at all doing the six trillion. It's just talk. I don't see Mansion caving on caving. that. Yeah. I I really don't. I mean, it's. That 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 would I think really create hyperinflation. Right, right. I, I think that would be a huge problem to the economy if we dumped another six trillion dollars into this economy. Again, we talked about all the cash out there. We don't need more we cash. Don't need we don't need more money. <laughs> we don't need more because again, what what that's going to create? I mean, that could create even higher interest rates as well. If you do six trillion dollars, that means you're issuing again more bonds into the economy as as the federal government, right. which means higher supply. Less demand if the Fed pulls back on their asset purchase plan, and now you have lower demand, higher supply. That means you need a higher interest rate to actually create that demand for the bonds, and that could be problematic for other borrowing tools. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, the uh, political side does kind of dance a little bit into the business side because they can do things to destroy or help the businesses and the economy. So that's why I want to address that. But I. I feel comfortable with that. And, and also, too, how money does flow. Uh, and it, again, it's not in months, it's in years how things happen. All right, uh, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. That'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, firm opinion about what you want to talk about. I do also want to mention it because it is coming up this Thursday, June 24th, the workshop at Alesmith Brewery. We're going to start right at 6 o'clock. Uh, at this workshop, we're going to show you how I successfully managed clients' money for over 40 years. We'll use all the fundamentals, the financial fundamentals that put your mind at ease when investing and keep you on the right track uh, on the course for long-term investing. And we'll also go over mistakes that investors have made over the years and will continue to make if you don't go to the workshop because you don't know about them unless we kind of show them to you. So uh, the workshop is free. Uh, what you have to do, you got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And Chase, I forgot to ask Bree yesterday how many we have signed up for. I know it's quite a few, but I know we have seats open. I just don't know how many seats we have open. So. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I know we've, we've been getting signups. So. Yeah, um, we've been, been so busy this past week. A lot going on that I forgot to ask her yesterday. Bree, how many? Because I always kind of check it. So especially I know on time of the radio show, I know there's seats open. Uh, we'll, we'll make seats for you there if you, if you attend. But again, go to the uh, website to uh, uh, sign up, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Speak with Brianna. She gets you signed up. And we look forward to seeing you this Thursday, June 24th at 6 o'clock at Alesmith Brewery, right off of uh, Miramar Road. And that'll be the next Smart Investing Workshop. Alrighty, phone numbers again, 866-577-2473. And by the way, I looked up, and I don't think it's ever happened. It's uh, almost 825, and we have all phone lines open. Are the phone lines working today? Gosh, you just have people that they they know to call in early to get get I don't think we gave out the phone number in the beginning. I think we just jumped right into it. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Uh, 866-577-2473. Two four seven three. Uh, do we have Facebook uh, working? No, it's not Facebook. 
I had to look it up, and it, uh, we have to re-download the app again. So uh, oh, we'll just do that next week again. Okay, so and that's we on have the problem fix. That's on my iPad, or you guys? Yeah, it's on your iPad, but we'll fix it next week. Okay. We'll get All right. Okay, so we'll have it next week. Yeah. So so no Facebook. So they got to listen to uh, uh, to the show here uh, via many different uh, venues. Um, 866-577-2473. Uh, let's talk about, because a lot did happen last week, uh, card chips. We kind of mentioned that. And, and despite the, the, the uh, chip for shortages for cars, uh, they, they're still flying out the lots. I mean, April seasonally adjusted annual total for light vehicles came in at $18.5 million, And that's the highest in 16 years. And I remember, gosh, and you, you don't remember this, but I remember back in the recession we went through uh, back in 2009, I guess I was, the car sales fell under nine million annual. So I mean that's half what we're doing now uh, at the eighteen point five, uh, and this was a slight decline from May to just under seventeen million on an annual basis. I mean, car, everybody's buying cars, and I wonder what they're doing these cars. I mean, I, I know I have what seven cars, which is is unusual, but maybe people picking up that second and third car, maybe. Could be. I mean, as I said, there's lots of money in the economy, so uh, yeah. I'm sure people are kind of looking towards that. Uh, other thing, too, is I, I know this isn't necessarily indicative of the entire picture, but EVs have become more popular, so people might be trading in their you know, old combustion engines for electric vehicles, increasing the sales there for, for new car sales. So that, that, that could be playing a part of it. But you know, the, the car companies here are, are playing it smart, and what they're doing with the limited parts supply is they're actually using those parts in vehicles with higher profit margins. For example, your SUVs, your trucks, those are actually much higher margin than a lot of yeah. like your smaller vehicles. I used to have like a Ford Fusion. Well, they don't make the Ford Fusion anymore. It just wasn't profitable for them. Those, those kind of, what are the sedans aren't nearly as profitable yeah. typically as SUVs for these businesses. So they're, they're shifting how they're actually utilizing those chips. And this has actually caused the average light vehicle price to increase $4,000 in May year over year to $38,500 for the average price of a vehicle there. And, and actually, I have noticed when I when I drive by car lots, a lot of times I do say like, yeah, look kind of kind of sparse there. Uh, and also to the current inventory, it is just at 34 days. And, and that's also half the historical average of 65 days of inventory. So that's why you go by the car lots, you don't see a lot there. Um, and, it, and it's just something that they're just flying off the shelves. Why new used car prices are up, um, but again, you mentioned how people may be turning in for an electric vehicle. Um, well, that that vehicle they turned in still has to be sold somewhere else, and the used car market's kind of high. So yeah, I also look too back at you know even I'm gonna say 10, 15 years ago. I mean, you, you have a, a Chevy Silverado that um you know what what year is that 2000 oh mine yeah oh uh 2002 i think 2002 was, yeah. so then i have a 2017 chevy silverado and the technology in mine and the gas mileage in mine and i know the engines might be a little bit different right. but it's so much better in the newer ones so people might be saying ah you know now's a pretty good time i'll i'll turn this in and get this or maybe people yeah. are keeping their old one and getting a new one and yeah. I'm the best of both worlds because you're right. The used cars are they're not out there either. It's it, yeah. it's crazy. And actually, mine does have the lift kit on it and the big tires and everything else. But but still, the technology has changed yeah. a lot. And I have the V8. You got the V6. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it, and I can't remember the last time I drove that that vehicle. Um, yeah. So and I think that is happening. People get more vehicles and just you know oh, I want this or I want that sports car for the weekend maybe you know so um, they're they're buying them. 
Or another question too, and I don't know the answer to this, because we were shut down in COVID for so long, are people having more accidents because they forgot how to drive and totaling the cars? I don't well, know. There, there's that, and I just realized too, there was a lot of talk of people moving from the downtowns to the suburbs. Right. Well, people downtown might not need cars, or I'm going to do a little dig here to New York City. A lot oh, yeah. of people kind of went out of New York City to other areas, and a lot of people in New York City didn't have cars. Well, now they need cars if they don't live in a kind of condensed town like that any longer where, you know, you used to take taxis, slash walk, the metro, all these different things. Well, it's like, ah, I better get a car. Or people that used to take public transportation. I don't feel comfortable taking public transportation during COVID. Right. Well, they went out and got a car as well. I mean, yeah. I, there's areas where I guess the demand could be tapped, but I, I'm shocked that it is as high as it is and the shortage is as severe as it is. Yep. Exactly. I, it's, it, yeah, a lot, a lot of different things are going on. And I had two thoughts here. One is, sure. you know, I was dri- we were driving the other day, and, I mean, you talk about the sports car. I mean, gosh, the, the GM did such a phenomenal job with the Corvette. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're like, is that a Ferrari? Mm-hmm. And it looks like a Ferrari when you first see it. And, then, oh, wow, that's a Corvette. So, hey, I mean, I'm curious how the Corvette sales have been. <laughs> yeah. I, and, I th- and I know my uh, friend Tracy, who is our, our tax guy, he, he bought the new Corvette. I saw it like, wow, it, it is very cool looking. And I believe they only started at 50, I think it's 52 or 54,000. That's a very bare one. But, I mean, I, I think to get the one you really want, it's probably about 70. But that's still a great deal when you're comparing the sports cars. And, uh, and also, it's not just the Corvette. I mean, they, they, they've done great things, GM, with the Escalade. Uh, they got the big Hummer coming out. They've got uh, Ford has the F one fifty electric vehicle. I mean, it, it, new car makers are just doing some great things going forward. So. Oh yeah, even the Cadillac, Cadillac Lyric, I think. Oh, I saw that one. I, I I wanted my fiance Christine. I said, "Let's get that." She goes, "No, I, I want to get Mercedes." Like, oh gosh, <laughs> it, it looks it, awesome. Yeah, it does. It does. So but I was going to say the last thing on the the cars is you were talking about the recession. Uh, 2008, 2009 was cars failed to 9 million annualized. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing is the car companies is they became so much more efficient with cars. That's what we've kind of seen with the chips. They've been able to kind of alter how they produce things and, and just really improve the effectiveness and efficiency of their, their manufacturing lines. But I, I do believe that Mary Barra, and this was a couple of years ago, said that and they she's could, the CEO she's of She's the CEO of yeah. uh, GM, said that they could be profitable even if they hit it was like ten or twelve million dollars mm-hmm. annualized. Yeah, million dollars, ten to twelve million units annual units yeah. in light vehicle sales. So before their threshold was much higher, now they've become much more profitable, and they have a lot more liquidity to get through downturns like we, we saw last year. Yeah, they're part of the car companies of today are not the car companies of the, uh, we'll say fifteen years ago. And oh my gosh, I won't go into it. But even the seventies, the eighties, they were terrible. They were terrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> lost tons of money. All right, phone number is eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. We do have lines open right now. Let's go up to Fallbrook and speak with Robert. Robert, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how you doing, guys? It's been a minute. Hey, listen. Before we get going, a couple of things. One is Chase, ring up Mallet Performance and get yourself a supercharger, and then you won't have to worry about Dad's V8. <laughs> and secondly. The- and then second, secondly, secondly, the Corvette is beautiful, but on the track is phenomenal. Let oh. me tell you, get out to Vegas and do it. Really? Definitely. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I love doing the track driving. I've, I've driven Lamborghinis around the track and Bugattis and stuff. And I, right. I, I do want to try yeah. 
uh, the Corvettes. I think they really did some great work there. So I'm glad to hear that, Robert. Because, they, uh, they, they got it right. They really did a really did a phenomenal job with it. I, I almost well, at see, any rate, I'm I almost see one in my garage in the future, but I don't have any room in the garage. But I would like <laughs> to put one in there. <laughs> That's yeah. I was going to add one to my fleet too, but um, maybe in a year. Yes. <laughs> So the reason reason why I'm calling today is for uh, Nvidia NVDA. Right, and do you hold that or looking at buying it? Yes, I do hold it. Well, I, I gotta <laughs> say congratulations. I'm glad you're calling on it because I know they went through some difficulty, and I saw this stock go by in the ticker screen the other day, like at 700. Like, what are they doing? And, and again, they, they are what I call one of the high flyers. So I'm very curious to look at it to 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 see what they are doing, see if we can find it. But uh, I, I'm sure they're going to be overpriced, but I'm glad you called in about it because I've been curious about it. So let, let's say look at a company called NVIDIA Corporation, symbol is NVDA. And yes, as I expected, the P-E ratio is 88 versus 22 for the industry. So that's exactly about four times uh, what the industry is trading for. Wow, price to sales, 24 versus 0.9. We do see price to book value, 38.8 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash flow 10 times the industry checks in at 70 versus 7.4. Now, now this is just kind of silly here. They pay a dividend, but the dividend is 0.09. Now, why even pay that dividend? But even as bad as that sounds, what is kind of worrisome to me is it takes 7% of their earnings to pay out that poultry dividend. I, I What is that, like a two-cent dividend? It's got to be very small. Yeah. Uh, that is ridiculous. Yes, yes. Just either pay a little bit more or just stop it. Uh, but here's why I think uh, people are paying up so much for this stock is they do have some great growth rates. Uh, the sales were up year over year, 63.5%, well above the initial growth at 4.2. We do see earnings per share year over year, last 12 months. Wow, that's up 57.5% when the industry is up 8.4. They do have a pristine balance sheet with a current ratio of 4.5 versus 1. Uh, total debt to equity is only 37, well below the industry at 212. Return to equity is very good for NVIDIA, 33.4 above the industry at 28. Net profit margin, 27.7 versus 3.9. And receivable turnover, 7.8 versus 6. Inventory turnover, 4.6 versus 8. And wow, that's the only negative I think I've seen on it except for the high valuations. Chase, what do you got going forward on the earnings? So current price here for NVIDIA is $746.29. 52-week high is $753.40. And the 52-week low, well, that's $356. So we, we know NVIDIA has done very well, and especially if you extrapolate that out over even a longer period of time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been one of the top-performing stocks. The, the problem that we kind of touched on already is the valuation. I mean, if I look out to January 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $17.16. That would give us a target sell price, if we use our 16.6 multiple here, of $284.86. So to put that another way, that means NVIDIA currently is trading at 43.5 times forward earnings. Right. And I mean, the other way I'm curious is if we wanted to see how much they had to earn to have a 16.6 multiple, they would need to earn $44.96. I mean, they're nowhere near that right, right now. And I even look out to January 2025, and the highest analyst has $37 a share. I mean, I, I don't see how they can grow into this this right. multiple. I mean, they, they've done a great job with growth. That growth's going to have to slow down at some point. 
and I don't see how they expand the multiple any longer. And I know I read like a, about a year or so ago, Robert, uh, uh, maybe a little bit longer, about how they do a lot of the gaming chips. Well, when I also heard, though, that the gaming is talking more in the future, going more streaming, which could maybe eliminate some of those uh, gaming chips. And I also believe that NVIDIA is right. involved in uh, cryptocurrencies a lot as well. Now, I think that could mean that they, they expect it to keep going. Now, I do believe cryptocurrencies will, will be around, but not in the same fashion we're in. And I guess the thing will be, can NVIDIA stay with that? And what if it does go more to the government doing cryptocurrencies? Will NVIDIA benefit or will they not benefit? So it could be a lot of hype right. in there based on the future. So I, I don't like to pay for hype, and I know you've done very well. Um, I just don't know what keeps this company going way above these uh, uh, earnings that it should be at. It's, that, that, that's kind of what I thought. I, I found it when it was like, uh, I think, 17 to $20 a share. And the reason what what grabbed my attention was that at the time, I don't know if they still do, but they had some proprietary technology which had to do with uh, self-driving vehicles. Oh, that could be another thing. Um, yeah. So that, that's what initially – the other thing, the other two that you mentioned, yeah, I can see a downside. So, I guess, I guess the idea that I had. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm watching this real close, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about kind of they're doing a split here, but I'm thinking about kind of getting out um, most of it and taking taking the profits, and because there is a risk, as you as you pointed out. Yeah, and I think I heard you say you pay seventeen for it to go from seventeen to seven hundred is is yeah. phenomenal. Uh, will it go to eight hundred, yeah. nine hundred? That's always a possibility, but everything does reach the top, and then many times it falls like a rock, which we've seen over history. So that that's right. That, that that I'd be right. About. You right. did extremely well on it. So yeah. Again, congratulations. But I, I know if you came into us as a client, we'd say, yeah, we we need to get a plan to get out of that. Is it by chance in a retirement account, okay. or is it outside? No, no, it's um, uh, well, actually, it is. It's my IRA. Oh, good. Well, um, you don't have to worry about taxes. I, I mean, my Roth. Your Roth, yeah. So my, no, my Roth IRA. That that that's yeah. great because they don't have to worry about any taxes on it. That's good. Right. You got something over there, Chase? That's right. Good. Yeah. So coming out, so I could yeah. do that. Yeah. 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 So. All right. Well, well, All right. Well, good. Congratulations. Uh, let I'm us know what the you right do there. Track, Thanks yes. For the confirmation, I will. All <laughs> right. Take care, guys. Okay, Robert. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. And and one thing I do look at with companies is earnings growth. Yes. And I mean, earnings growth, as you mentioned, has been phenomenal in the past. I mean, you look at January 2020, they made $5.79. January 2021, $10 a share. So, I mean, uh, not quite, but I'm just going to kind of round up and say a near double. Then 2022, their estimate made $15.73. So, another $5 gain in terms of the earnings per share. Then January 2023, it's only estimated to grow to $17.16, as I discussed. Right. That's a 9% gain. Right. That, that's not justifying a what do you say 45 times multiple yeah for forward, forward multiple. earnings yeah yeah and, and and that's things you look at and, and that's where the momentum takes things beyond where they should be at and you never know when that's gonna stop but when it stops it's it's terrible i mean I, i've seen it happen on my 40 years of investing and it's like it's not good when that happens and then you try to get out and then your, your emotions really go crazy because well i'm gonna wait for it to go back up and it goes down again so it, it just gets crazy what you actually end up doing so th that's why you base it on valuations and you, you you get ones that are so good you know you you, you just kind of say well you know what I, i've made money on this I'll, i'm going to take my profits and not worry about what uh, what happens going forward all right phone number is 866-577-2473 that's 866-577-2473 
800-242-2473. Now, rolling in Arizona, stay with us because right now it's time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Doing well. Well, good, good. Today you're talking about health care costs uh, late in retirement. Uh, explain what you got there. Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, um, I this is kind of a follow-up to that, but a couple weeks ago I made the point that retirees, uh, when they retire, their spending generally doesn't keep up with inflation, which is true. T. Rowe Price came out with a, a study that basically said that um, in retirement, the inflation-adjusted spending declines about 2% per year on average. So as people get older, they're a little bit less active. They spend a little bit less um, in retirement. So that, this is the reality of it. So on that, retirement income sources might be coming from Social Security, IRA, Roth income distributions, maybe pension income, rental income, maybe annuity income. So you have those income sources. You want those to cover your living expenses in retirement. Generally, over time, you want those income sources to, in sources to increase, but it turns out if they don't exactly keep up with inflation, it might not be too terrible because your spending doesn't keep up with inflation either. So that's the first point. The second point we have to get into is what is the impact of health costs? Because in the first and middle phases of retirement, Generally, healthcare costs aren't too bad. You pay your Medicare premiums, and that, that covers most of what you need. But when you get later into retirement, that's when you can encounter um, nursing homes or assisted living facilities or caretakers or that type of thing. And those expenses are not covered by Medicare. So really, you need a completely separate plan and, in many cases, completely separate funding sources for those type of expenses. So the regular... Social Security, IRA, pension, rental, annuity income, that might not be enough to cover those health care expenses because they can be pretty substantial. And that's okay. We just have to understand that and have a plan for it. So what that means is um, when you are ready for those types of expenses, you know, at that point, generally you're not doing much else. So you can put your retirement income toward that. But then on top of that, you can also, if you need to, access something like home equity. Maybe you have an insurance policy or a hybrid insurance policy with the long-term care rider, where at that point it might be okay to deplete some assets to cover those additional expenses. Um, maybe you have some family that's going to help you. So, again, the, the point here is we have to understand that health care costs late in retirement can be expensive, but we know that and we might have some different funding sources to, to account for those larger expenses later in retirement. And Harrison, you're so, you're so good at uh, this stuff with people, and, and, and it seems like uh, with people that you talk to, I mean, this can really be individualized to different people. It depends on their situation. Uh, do you run it into that when you be, talk to people? It, it really has. What's that? I said, do you run into that when you talk to different people? Like some people, it affects them differently. Uh, is that what you run into? It absolutely. I mean, it, it has to be individualized because everyone's situation is so different. So for one person, I mean, we have people who spend – $20,000 a month or more. So for them, you know, if they're going into a assisted living facility, it's really not that big of a deal because they're used to spending that much money. That's not the case for everybody. In other cases, uh, what's really common, what we see in California is, you know, as you get older, you're paying more of your mortgage down, property values are going up. So you have a whole bunch of home equity. Well, that can be a funding source for elder care, whether you're going to sell a house and move somewhere or, you get a reverse mortgage or a home equity line of credit or something like that, you can use that equity to uh, um, 
to pay for these types of expenses. Uh, you know, when we put plans together for people for income and retirement, we they might have an investment portfolio. We we distribute a piece of that, um, and the point is basically to preserve the principal over time. But later in life, if you need to access a little bit more of that for elder care costs, it's okay because you know you still have that huge sum of principal that you can access. So it has to be totally individualized. Um, because everyone's situation and funding sources are, are totally different. And, and Harrison, I ask that question because I, I know sometimes people say, oh, I'll just go online and use an online financial planning service or, you know, it's not cookie cutter. I mean, you got so many different things you got to look at. And if you do those online things, you're going to miss stuff like this, aren't you? Well, financial planning is not running projections. Anybody can go run a projection. That's, that's pretty simple to do. The, the planning comes in to say, well, how are we going to make this better and how are we going to improve the situation or what if this happens? Because projections basically assume that things are linear throughout time, which is absolutely not true in any capacity. Income sources are always changing. Taxes are always changing. Expenses are always changing. And so we have to be able to understand how those changes impact us so that we can take advantage of them. And by understanding that, there's all types of opportunities. And that's really where the planning comes in, not just oh, yeah, I'm going to run a projection and everything's going to be out. It's going to be fine because you're really missing a lot by doing that. Yep. And I want to let people know that. I mean, they may not think this or realize this, but you are a financial planner at office. They do not have to invest their money with us to see you and speak to you about financial planning. They could do their own investments and still say, well, gee, I need a good financial planner that's really going to be unbiased and look at my financial plan or build a financial plan and not – you know, and kind of work with the investing that I do. So I want people to understand that, that you are, even though you're in office, our office, you're an employee of Will Management, we do have people that just have financial planning with you and do not invest with us as well. It's, it's, too, it's a wholly different service. Yep, that's right. Some people are clients of us both. Some are just mine. Some are just yours. And yep. That's totally fine. Yeah. Well, Harrison, thank you very much for sharing more information with us. Uh, have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Sounds good, guys. See you on Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. <clears throat> I was going to say, you're talking about the financial planning tools and, um, you know, I, I might be doing a segment on Fox 5 here shortly about kind of, I think the retirement tools that a lot of 401k providers provide. Right. I think they're just the silliest <laughs> things. Like they put on there the, the calculation of what you'll have in retirement. Well, it's all based off the inputs you put in there. If you say, yeah, I'm going to average 10% per year. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have $2 million in retirement. That's going to be fantastic. They, they don't educate people about the inflation side or how to actually input the correct inputs. Right. I mean, especially we've seen this tremendous growth over the past 10 years. You're not going to see the same growth going forward on a lot of these growth mutual funds. It's like, well, these growth mutual funds have averaged 15% for the last 10 years, so I'm going to assume that past performance, I'm going to make 15% per year. Wow, I can retire when I'm 50. <laughs> this is awesome. I, I think those are a, a real detriment to a lot of people because they don't, show people how to actually utilize the tools. Yeah, and, and they really don't. And it, it's just something that you and you think going to be fine. That's where, again, you'll, it's nice to have the conversation. Uh, and, again, the consultation with Harrison is uh, free. The first consultation is free to talk to him. Give us a call to our office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And just talk directly to Harrison. You can set up an appointment to come in and, and sit down, which we really recommend that you do as well. I'm going to kind of – knock another financial planner we were talking to sure. a guy and he was comparing us to another planner and he came in and said well they said based off the prior projections that uh, i'll have this amount in retirement 
and they just use the past performance and in particular bonds. Oh my gosh, like, bonds yeah. will not be doing the same thing going forward. And um, you know, you looked at the projections, like wow, the projections are great, and we don't really do projections because you can't project what's going to necessarily happen. I mean, we talked that you know we can right. average eight, ten percent on average per year, and and that that seems to be a pretty reasonable expectation, but. I just think a lot of these projection tools that people utilize, they, they don't understand the inputs of it. Yeah. And they're, wow, that output looks great. But they don't understand how they got there. And I, I just, I worry that a lot of people base decisions off of that, which I, I think can, can yeah. be really hurtful. And, and you got to have some assumptions, but they got to be reasonable and they got to be flexible to change them. And, and that's why, again, you need to talk to somebody that does this every day, day in and day out, that knows the whole financial picture. And again, you bring in taxes, you bring in the estate side and so forth. That's why you really need a good financial planner. Uh, I gave the phone number for Harrison. Uh, also, you can uh, contact him on our website. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And again, you don't have to be a client, an investment client. It is a separate service. If you want to just do the financial plan with Harrison, we're okay with that because we want to help you out. And I, I know that some people do their own investments that's okay. You want to do your investments, but you still need that financial plan because you could be doing a great job investing and not have a great plan that is going to cause you problems down the road. So again, website, smartinvesting2000.com. And that reminds me, shoot, I haven't talked about the workshop and it is coming up this Thursday. I don't want people to miss out. It is Thursday, the 24th, six o'clock. We will be at Alesmith Brewery right off of Miramar Road uh, for our next workshop. At the workshop, we're going to show you how we've managed money, how I've managed money for over 40 years, uh, what I've learned from this, how we do it, how I actually manage my own money and clients' money successfully for, oh, well, 40 years. Uh, we're going to talk about mistakes you could be making or have made. We're going to show you how to avoid those and really let you understand how we invest money and how we come up with our target sell prices. We'll look at the financial statements for you. It really is a very thorough workshop. That's why we don't call it a seminar. It is a workshop because... You got to think when you go, you're going to, it's not just sitting there enjoying coffee. No, you got to actually beer, I guess in this case, yeah. <laughs> you actually got to go there and kind of really think we really challenge you on that. So it, it is free uh, this Thursday, uh, six o'clock at Alesmith Brewery. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up right there or you can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306. You speak with Brianna. She could have signed up. And again, we look forward to seeing you on Thursday, June 24th, 6 o'clock at Alesmith Brewery for the next Smart Investing Workshop. All right. Uh, phone number is here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Arizona and speak with Roland. Roland, you're on the Smart Investing with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. Well, I'm primarily calling on Honda Motors. People have called in on General Motors, Ford, but I've been looking at Honda Motors. That looks like a good bargain, and I'd love to see if you can talk me out of it. <laughs> okay. We might talk you into it. Who knows? Uh, uh, Rowan, uh, do you, so I th it sounds like you're looking at buying it. You don't hold it currently, correct? No, I hold it, but I'm looking at expanding and uh, buying more. Uh, okay. But I'm getting kind of heavy in the automotive. I own General Motors and Fisker, taking a gamble on Fisker. Uh, solid investment uh, based on your philosophy and mine on General Motors, but uh, I'm afraid about getting too heavy in the automotive. But to me, it looks like Honda is a very good. Um, yes, Honda is a very good buy. Okay. So I'd like to get your thoughts on it, 
And yeah. I have several questions after you go through the fundamentals. Sure, sure. Well, well let's do that. Uh, coming again is Honda Motors Limited, uh, symbols HMC. We do have a good start. The P.E. ratio is 9.2. That does versus the industry at 76. Price of sales, very good, 0.5 versus 3. Price to book value, 0.77 versus 7.7. Now, that tells me you're paying 70 cents on the dollar for Honda Motor Company, and I like that company. I know they've always been a great company, have a great product, so I'm surprised you're paying less than a dollar for the assets of that uh, company, the equity, the value of that company. Uh, price of cash looks good as well, 4.9 versus 16.3. So I like what I'm seeing so far in the valuation ratios. You get a good dividend of 3.2%. They only use 14% of their earnings to pay that out. Now their sales are down 11.8% year over year. That's a little bit worse in the industry decline of 6.3. However, earnings per share were up 47%, and the industry was up 2,914, which is a crazy number because of how things have happened. But still, I'm very happy seeing earnings grow up 47%. I like the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.3. That's the same as the industry. Debt to equity looking very good. It's 90 versus 156 for the industry. Return to equity is 7.7. That is below the industry at 11.1. Net profit margin checks in at 5.3. That is better than the industry at 4. And then I look at receivable turnover at 5.2, above the industry at 3.3. And inventory turnover... Well, that checks in at 6.7. That's below the industry at 8.8. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? So current price here for Honda Motor Company, $32.53. 52-week high, $33.32. And 52-week low was $23.10. Now I got to March 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.01. Would give us a target sell price here based off 16.6 as our forward multiple of $49.97. So again, the valuations still look very strong on that. As again, the current price at $32.53, <clears throat> still well above that with the target price. And and, and Roland, I, I gotta tell you, I, I I always look at the Honda. I've looked at them for years. I swear the target or their, their current price is always in the 30s. I don't know if it's ever moved. I've not looked at the long-term history of it. Maybe they had stock splits and so forth. But I mean, based on what we see in the numbers, it does look pretty good. But I'm just worried it's maybe one of these stocks number one out of 30. Are you looking at a chart right now, Chase, the last 10 years or something? Yeah, it does seem to kind of just go up and down. And it looks like the peak in 2010 was 43.69. Right. Um, and then it's just kind of up, up and down, and down so, up and down. So if but, you bought it back in 2010 at 43, uh, you'd be down right now. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, that, that kind of worries me. Now, I will also point out, Roland, there's another company that I, I saw the same thing with, and it's blown out after that. But it took... 10 to 15 years was Magna. Yeah. Uh, Magna did the same thing for years, and now it's just it's moved dramatically. Roland, I know you had some questions too, so so we're going to let you, uh, you talk a little bit. Well, one of the things I do is look out to future years beyond what Chase does. And when you go, I go to Market Watch and get my future est analyst estimates. And in 2023, they're projecting $4.13, and in 2024, $4.48, which would give a tremendous target using the 16.5 multiple right. of, you know, well over $60 a share. And, you know, the other thing attractive is the 3% dividend. So it looks like a, a screaming buy to me, and that's why I'm asking. And that, But I do notice that most of the car companies, the established ones, have a fairly low PE. I've looked at Toyota mm -hmm. and I'm reluctant to buy, well, I missed the opportunity 
They were in the 140s. They've jumped to 170. But they also have a low PE of, I think, around 12. GM still has a low PE of, uh, I think, around 10 or something. And uh, so I'm wondering if, but you mentioned the automotive industry, the PE being in the 70s. So I can't figure out why these established companies have such low PE ratios now. And the projections for the future look tremendous, uh, you know, in particular Honda, let alone the other companies. So, yeah. And I was going to say one thing too, Roland. The, the reason we go out to 2022 generally, we like to go about a year and a half to two years. As I said, the, the future gets kind of murky the further and further out you go. I mean, I've seen sometimes, wow, the, the earnings look phenomenal five <laughs> years down the road, but it, it's harder and harder to kind of project that out. So we, we keep it kind of a little bit yeah, closer. Yeah, I guess that. And then the yeah. other thing too is the further out you go generally, the less analysts yeah. that actually have projections. So you could have a guy that, you know, is super high on it and really hyping it up and, there's no one to kind of counterbalance that uh, optimism. So that, that's why we stick to the 2000. Honda has 15 analysts. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I'm, I'm disappointed where the stock is because I like the cars. And I don't like, I own a Honda, but I, I just think they're a good quality car. But the other thing, too, I want to just comment back on the analysts and you going out to 2024. The other thing you want to look at, too, is the range of those estimates because that's why we don't go out too far because the farther out you go, the range is going to go like maybe one guy says, uh, well, they're in a dollar. One guy says $10. You come up with five. That sounds pretty good. But that means that they're really not sure on that. So I, I, I that's why I don't like going out too far because you might see higher numbers. But the bigger the range, the less likely that's going to happen. Yeah, and I did, want, we, I did want to address as well because we are pushing up against the end of oh, the shoot, hour. Yeah. But uh, talked about the high PE multiple for the automotive industry. That uh, a lot of that can stem from Tesla, especially since they're the largest auto manufacturer. It kind of, I'm going to say, uh, really skews the average because they're so much bigger than a lot of the other players in terms of their market cap, and then their valuations are so high that it kind of really skews the industry average um, for the, the valuations when we look at them. Yeah. Well, we got about two minutes here. I mean, we can take it to the, uh, through the break, but did, you, did that answer your questions? Do you have other questions as well? No, I, those were my questions and trying to figure out, yes, I get the long range on the estimates, but even the short range estimate would put Honda at around $60 a share. So um, I don't take that into account, but I'm just trying to figure out, again, the, the low PE ratio on these automotive and if that was historical, and you make a good point on Tesla. But, and, and I do know that Honda does have an investment with General Motors yeah. for the uh, uh, self-driving cars, uh, mm -hmm. Cruise, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I don't know how much they're into the electric side, the self-driving, and, th and that's what I think is driving General Motors and Ford. I think I'd want to know more on Honda. What are they doing in that area? Yeah. All right? Okay. Roland, thanks for calling. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Yeah, and I was going to say real quick on Honda, I know that their partnership <laughs> with GM is actually quite strong. Like they talk about partnership with batteries, or really? crews. Yeah. I mean, they, they have a pretty good partnership there, but you're right. What are they doing on their own? Yep. All right, we'll take a quick break here. You're listening to Smart Investing Show, Brent and Chase. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Phone number is 866-577-2473. And Jeff and Myron, stay with us. You're going to be next up.
All righty, welcome back to Smart Investing Show. And yes, we have phone lines open, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Before I go back to the calls, I do want to talk about the workshop coming up this Thursday, June 24th at 6 o'clock at Ale Smith Brewery right off of Memorial Road. At this workshop, we're going to show you how I've successfully managed money for clients over 40 years. We'll go over all the financial fundamentals that put your mind at ease when investing and keep you on the right course for long-term investing. We'll also go over mistakes that investors have made for years and will continue to make if they're not revealed to you. But what you got to do is you got to sign up for the workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306. Speak with Brianna. She gets you signed up. And we look forward to seeing you this Thursday, June 24th at Alesmith Brewery for the Smart Investing Workshop. All right. Let's go back to the calls here. Let's go up to Bonanna Park and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Investing with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Hey, um, I, I got... Uh, I'm interested to see how you guys would begin to evaluate uh, a, pro, uh, a company that's come out uh, recently uh, from an IPO. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of history, you know, from the stats side that you guys usually go through. Right. Um, but uh, the one I'm interested in is called UiPath. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, it's been around for quite a while, uh, 2005, um, and, and I've been tracking it through another fund uh, that, uh, that I, that I participate in, uh, Alkion, um, capital growth partners. And, uh, they've been, they've been sort of, uh, they were sponsoring or however you call it, bringing this company, you know, public along with a whole bunch of other investors and it, they're involved in robotic process automation. Mm. And, um, I'm in the manufacturing, uh, business and industry and, and, and I know how valuable um, this is and the way it seems to be going. Um, I don't currently use any of the UiPath stuff uh, in, in our process, but I'm, I'm beginning to look at it. I'm kind of curious how you guys would evaluate, you know, a, a company like this. Yeah, we're going to go over a little bit and talk about it a little bit because um, uh, we probably wouldn't buy this company. We like to buy existing companies that have done well. Now, I, I think you said the company's been around for two th- since 2005, but just went public recently. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's got a long history of it. So, we still look at some numbers here and see what we can derive from that. But it's probably a growth company. Well, well let's start with the numbers. Come again as a Unipath Incorporated, symbol as P-A-T-H. Now, I do not see a P-E ratio versus 65 for the industry. So, right now, the company's not making any money. We do see the price of sales are very expensive, 52 <clears throat> versus 13. Price to book value looks good, though. It's 19.5 versus 130. They do not pay a dividend. What I like seeing here, Jeff, is that I see they had sales growth of 75% versus 14 for the industry, so that's positive. Even earnings growth at 31% versus 18. Now, what's really great is when you get these growth companies, these companies that just came out, the big worry thing is that, oh, my gosh, they're, they're laden with debt. Uh, they've got to make money quickly or else they're not going to make it. Well, that's not the case here for uh, Unipath because what I see is I see a current ratio of 6.5 versus 2 for the industry. However, 
they don't seem to have a lot in cash and liquid funds that could be mostly in accounts receivable and inventory because a quick ratio shows not material. But what the positive is is debt to equity is zero versus 73. So you're not being, uh, the company's not being forced by creditors to hurry up, hurry up, or else we're going to proportion a bankruptcy. So that's a positive for them. What I don't like seeing is a net profit margin of a negative 41 <clears throat> versus 19.6. And what worries me about that <clears throat> is you said it has been around since 2005. Well, that's what, 16 years, and they're not making a profit yet? That kind of worries me. I don't see receivable turnover or inventory turnover. Chase, any earnings going forward? Well, they, um, they're, a, they're a software as a service company a, a by what? and large. A uh, SaaS software as a SaaS. service. Okay. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's hard to look at what, you know, inventory turnover and, and some yeah. of those more, more <laughs> fundamental metrics are, but they're not a finance company either. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I was having a hard time trying to digest where it's going. It's the, it's the growth, um, and in, in the, the, the revenues that, that really look to me like it's a, there's not a lot of competition for, for these guys. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I did just kind of look at numbers here, and we're going to start at the current price, $69.75. 52-week high is $90 a share, and 52-week low is $61.50, so it has pulled back from the high on the IPO, it seems like. Uh, unfortunately, there's still no analysts on it going forward. And, and, I mean, to be honest with you here, Jeff, the hard part is we miss a lot of these companies. I mean, it's just not what we do. You ask how we would analyze it. it it's just outside of our kind of scope of business that we do. We like the value. We like the, the track records. And I mean, w this might be a great company. I think automation, I mean, we know that is going to be needed. <laughs> we talked about the labor crunch earlier in the show. Well, how do you kind of combat labor crunches and improving efficiency even in the workplace? It doesn't necessarily mean that robots are going to take over people. And they had a, Hopefully not. Yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely hope not. But they can, I think automation can be a great tool to really improve efficiency for people. Know this is the way of the future. But what is the competition going to be for UiPath? Is it going to be something that comes out in three years from now where it's like, wow, this technology is phenomenal. Might not even be thinking about it. So it's really hard to speculate on an area that has so much potential in the long term. And this company could be worth, you know, several hundred billion dollars or it, it could kind of fizzle out. So that's the hard thing. That's why we stick to being kind of conservative with our investments as well and sticking to well-known businesses many times. And, and Jeff, you've got a lot more research to do on this company because it, it does have potential. We like the industry that they're in. But what you have to do is you really kind of look at more deeper into the filings of the SEC. You want to look at how many customers they have. Do they have all mm -hmm. just one big customer? You want to see any contracts that, that could be coming up or maybe contracts that could be canceled. Maybe they have you know, a contract with a big customer that is up for renewal in six months. Maybe they won't get it. Uh, what about competition? Uh, is there more things coming out? So when you have a business like this, and, and we think it's worth the research if you want to do it. It's kind of like if you enjoy working on your car, uh, go ahead and do it. Same thing here. You've got a lot more research to do in different areas because it's not there. The great thing now being public you can get that information prior to going public. You can get that information. I mean, I, I was just kind of looking at this kind of what you're talking about here, Jeff, earlier. But, I mean, their sales in 2020 for a year in were about 336, uh, gosh, I think that's million, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this year it's it's grown for the end of 2021, 607 million. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about. The growth is there. I, I do see operating expenses decline. So, I mean, software as a service is definitely a profitable business to be in. The question just becomes, 
how much is it worth? I'm not saying it's a bad company, but what is the value of this business? That That's kind of where it's hard to derive uh, a target sell on it. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's, uh, I, I'm going to be reaching out to them for some of our automation projects um, just because I think that it's, uh, uh, there's a real potential value, and, and that will be a great way to learn a lot about their company. But um, what, I, what I know of it so far is they, they really ex- they're really expanding their customer base. And, and I know from our, our own experience that <clears throat> once you start down uh, an automation path, um, you, you tend to get locked in with your uh, with your with your provider uh, because you you know they're constantly uh, reinventing and, and improving and adding to their platform and and giving you more uh, uh, features and functionality and you kind of go yeah we now we know how to use this and we like the way this works and they can tailor it to our specific needs and you sort of grow together and and that's what this company kind of feels like to me and I just think with the labor issues that we're all facing um, and and that sort of thing that this, it it just has a lot of potential I just don't know how you value it. Yeah, and um, I, I, even I, after yeah. even even after right. you have some time, some right. you know some more stats. Right, and Jeff, before I let you go, I I did look at the balance sheet real quickly for you. Very strange balance sheet. Actually, it does show that they have about one point eight million dollars. I believe it's in millions, yes, in cash and short term investments. Their equity is uh, where'd it go? Uh, one point nine million which I'm very surprised because they don't have anything. I, this is, I, I thought they built build – well, no, you said it's a software company, didn't you? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. okay. So, they, so, they, they do the process automation. Right, right. So, for robotics. So there's no – I mean, they don't own any buildings. They don't have any equipment. It's just a very light, different type of company. So I, you almost want to go to this company and kind of talk to them and see what they have. I, I, I'm envisioning – this could be wrong. I'm envisioning they have a little office, you know, uh, in Kearney Mesa with, with five people, <laughs> you know, that are just in there, which may be fine, but it, it's just, it's, you might find some surprises in here and it's very hard to value. Uh, but these are things you have to look at the financial statements, kind of understand the business more, look at the filings. So you, you really got to understand what you're buying here because you're definitely buying on the future. Uh, and also too, what would worry me is competition. They may have the best thing now, but there could be some other company and software in their garage doing something more phenomenal comes out a year from now and this company is uh can't compete with it so just just be careful with it it is a growth company all righty yeah appreciate that guys jeff thanks for calling have a good one have a happy father's day well thank you are you a father i am you as well (laughs) thank you (laughs) thanks guys bye-bye all right that does open the phone line 866-577-2473 that's 866-577 Two four seven three. I was gonna say it is so hard with investing because I I, I I can see where Jeff's coming from with this company, especially kind of working in that type of industry. And when you talked about with the, the robots and kind of uh, software as a service, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it, but kind of justifying his valuation. I mean, talk about it, I think they had six hundred million in sales. They have a market cap of thirty five billion. Mm-hmm. Well, when will they be able to justify a market cap right. that large? And, and that's where it gets so hard because there's so many times where we look at businesses and we're like, I love this. We talked about Costco earlier in the show. Yeah. You know how long I've wanted to buy Costco? Oh, yeah. For years. It's I held it years business. ago and then yeah. we sold it. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it hasn't really moved much in terms right. of its appreciation lately. 
uh, and it's just so hard. You want to buy these things, but with our strategy, with our philosophy, we, we don't bend on, you know, okay, well, maybe this one time we'll, we'll buy mm-hmm. UiPath, I'm going to say, because I really like the story. And who knows? I, again, maybe it's at 69 right now. Maybe it goes up to $200, $300 a share. This thing could just take off yeah. like a rocket, but it's just it's not our philosophy, and we right. stick to our philosophy. Right. And, and our philosophy is very conservative because you know we're more concerned with losing money than making somebody a lot of money. And, and discover with value investing, you can make good returns, um, but you're not going to hit the home run and have that company that goes up 10,000% or even 1,000%. Um, but I'm okay with that because, again, if we do an 8 10% on average return per year, eh, you know, I'm okay with that. Oh, that's not very good. I want to do you know, 50 100%. Well, you know, you're going to play things like this, and your, your risk of losing money is much greater than our risk of losing money. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to have those super big returns. So. Uh, but again, investing is, is difficult because there's so many different things to kind of look at value versus growth investing. And, uh, and, and I, I, years ago I did a couple of growth companies and I'm talking back in the, the tech boom, uh, didn't turn out very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it since. <laughs> I was so in other words, uh, you guys would say UA, UI path is not a pathetic company. <laughs> oh, you're sitting in there thinking of things, aren't you? <laughs> Stretching for these puns. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking too. I was like, well, actually, a Costco comparison to UiPath isn't very good because Costco's a big, dumb, boring company. That's but right. That's I right. guess it kind of shows where where our ideology lies. And there was a software company that I invested in. Uh, I'm going to say ten years ago, uh, and I think it was called CompuServe or something. Compu. I remember it was something like that. And it was like it was a hot software company. And it did nothing, and it did nothing, and I held it for three to four years, and the numbers looked good on it, and then we finally gave up on it because it was a software company, and it just, it, it didn't produce anything. So I, and again, that was just that one company, but sometimes you want to see things change, and maybe the competition comes in, so I, I, I don't know. I'm not thrilled on software companies, but well, I it guess. depends on the numbers. It depends on the numbers. Because exactly. they, they, as I said, they can be very profitable, and, yeah. and they're extremely asset light, as he said. Yeah, so they so don't, don't have about to... depreciation and things. Yeah. yeah. True. All right. The phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Myron. Myron, you're in the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey. How you doing, Brent? Good. How you doing? I went, well... So far, so good. I'm driving to Corona from Poway to meet an old friend for breakfast. So I'm just going by Lake Elsinore. Wow. But anyway, I got a couple of questions for you. Sure. Oh, first of all, I wanted to thank you. I went to one of your seminar or your workshops uh, years ago, but thanks for the information and the, and the food. We're good. Anyway, I'm an ETF inventor. I don't feel like spending as much time as you're supposed to to invest in stocks. But the ETFs I have are pretty good. I mean, most of them have gone over 200% in the last five years. They're mostly NASDAQ ones. But my biggest investment is QQQ, the NASDAQ 100. Now, it's, it seems to be doing real well, and it's, you know, it's a big fund. And so I just wondered what you thought about it. Sure. And, and again, I'm going to require you to go back to kind of remember some things from the workshop a few years ago you went to. Because one thing you're going to have to look at here with a QQQ is you've got to look at, well, what's in that QQQ? And there's a lot of expensive companies in the QQQ. And whatever you do, any type of ETF investing, 
that's what you have to look at. Well, what makes it up? And it sounds like you've done very well with that, but I am concerned for you going forward in the future because a lot of these indexes, uh, like the, the QQQ, are very expensive. And I do remember back uh, when, they, when things fell apart and the NASDAQ one, I believe it was from, let's see if I can get this right, from 5,000 down to, I'm going to guess here, around 15, 1,600. I don't think that's going to happen again, but you could be in for that kind of decline over the next, we'll say, 12 to 18 months. So that's why well, I, we don't do the index investing. That's why we do the individual companies, because we want to focus more on what we're doing. I did buy it for 170 a year ago, February, when, you know, when everything dropped down. So it's up over 100 percent from that. Yeah, and I, I will say too, Myron, looking forward, I mean, I, I did pull up the, the holdings on the QQQ against the NASDAQ, but I, I didn't know it was this concentrated. Uh, the top 10 positions make up 51.6% oh, wow. of the, the portfolio there. Apple alone is about 10.7%. Microsoft, 9.6%. Amazon, 8.29%. Alphabet, that. 7%. And then Tesla, our favorite company, 3.8%. Right. The thing is, I mean, the reason the QQQ has done well is because those companies have done well. I know you said you're an ETF investor because you, you like to do the lack of research, I'll say. But the problem is, is if the companies don't do well, then the QQQ is not going to do well. So I do worry they now were you big. You know what happens when they don't do well? They readjust their holdings. So if the company it, starts not doing well for a while, it starts going down the list of uh, how much they have uh, QQQ invest, go invest in it. That is true, but it could take time to readjust. I mean, if you have Apple completely mispriced at, I'm going to say, 11%, it could fall 50%, let's say, and still make up a huge portion of it because you might have something that's doing really well that makes up less than 1% of it. So it's hard to tell. And again, Brent talked about the QQQ in the past where it did phenomenal and then it didn't do so. I think it fell like 70%. I yeah, I think say. it's like 70% it fell. And so, I mean, it's it's hard to tell you. I mean, I can tell you the PE right yeah. now is about 33.5. It's, it's expensive. Right. And you know, technology's been hot. We know that technology makes up about 44% yeah. of the QQQ. If technology it starts to sell. It's been too hot this year. Yeah, it, it's done. It, yeah, it's kind of lagged a little bit compared to the Dow and the right. S&P. Right. I mean, Apple's flat for the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, why, got, that's why, you know, and again, I've been in the business for 40 years. This is why I don't yeah. do. Uh, yeah, and you know. Yeah. It, I got one more question. Sure, sure. Go ahead. Now, I have a peculiar way of taking my money out. I'm an older guy and depend on getting some money out of the market. But say, I don't have a giant portfolio. I have like 650000 in ETFs. But say, QQQ is my biggest holding. So what I do is, like anything over 200000 I take. You know, like just recently, I, I was up, it was 207000 so I just took out, you know, 6000 So then I just wait for it to come up like that again maybe i'll take six or eight thousand out and that's i don't look for a particular price i just look for how much it's worth is, is that a peculiar way to take and that's what i do with all my positions uh, all my others i try to keep at fifty thousand. so anytime they're up four percent i take two thousand out of them so is that a, a real peculiar unwise way to do it well i, I wouldn't call it peculiar unwise it's a system that you have 
what I don't like about the system, there's really like no rhyme or reason behind it. I mean, when we manage money, I mean, I always come back to how we do it. And, and again, I could do the same thing. You know, I could do the ETF investing. I could do the individuals. The reason I like about the individual investing, why I do it that way is because I can see the value of something. I can't see the value of these ETFs and there's value there. I just can't tell you if it's overpriced or underpriced. So you have a system that is a disciplined system, it sounds like, but it's not based on anything other than, well, it goes up to this amount and I'll take out X dollars and then I'll put it somewhere else, I, I guess so. And, and the other thing I'd point yeah, out I like there. My, I put it in my checking account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say the other thing I'd point out here too is that the system works for now, but the problem is, and as I said, we don't see the NASDAQ falling 70% like it did before. But what happened was last time the NASDAQ fell the way it did, and this is based off the chart, it took about 14 years to get back to break even on the NASDAQ from the peak. So if you're waiting for it to get above 200000 to pull out your, your money to kind of take off the table, so to speak, what if you, you don't get above 200000 for 10 years? And that might sound crazy, but it's happened in the past. So just be cautious with that because that'd be hard not to take out money for 10 years because Oh, I haven't gotten above 200,000. Right. And, and I got to say, I, I like that you have a system. I'm just not sure if I like your system because I, I want uh, you know to explain why that system works. And, 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 there's, and it may not work. It's worked well in the past. But going forward, you could have a system to where, gosh, it's not working at all because things aren't moving the way you want to. Uh, they've got, things have to move up for you, and maybe they don't uh, for years. And all of a sudden, it could kind of destroy your... And I think you said you're not a young guy, but you might say, ah, I've been doing this for two years now, and it's not going the right way, and then you, you cancel out the system. We're, we're again, our system, we know the value of something. I know it takes a lot of research. That's why people hire us, because of the fact that we do all the work for them, and they understand the system, um, and it works out well. But it, it's just something that, um, yeah, I, I, I just, it's kind of like a form of asset allocation in, in a way. That's what you kind of do. All right? Okay, well, I sure appreciate your opinion. All Thank right. you. Well, Myra, thanks for the call, and uh, you have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, and Chase, you know, Myra brings up an, another thing, because we always talk about value investing and growth investing. We, we do have other forms of investing, which is investing just in ETS or just mutual funds or other things as well, which then you're kind of like he does. He doesn't put a lot of time into it. So I know a lot of people do that, but it's just, it just kind of worries me sometimes because things don't always go up and we've had a great, you know, a great time frame here and, and things can change. And that's when the emotions many times change. So it's a, another form of investing, I guess I'll call it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. Alrighty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three, and I was gonna say just real quick. I was, I was just thinking, and we've talked about Kathy Wood before in the past. And, yes, you know, the, just talking about the QQQ and technology. I don't know if you saw this, but the other day she came out and told her investors that she anticipates the fund to triple within the next five years. I did see that. It's I, just like really. <laughs> I mean, I, I just you can't triple. Yeah. Like every five years. I mean that that's just not a sustainable thing. Like, yeah. I don't know. I. I know she had the hot time period last year. I, right. I don't think she's done so hot this year. Um, so I, I just don't see her tripling again, I guess. And I just wonder where the regulators are on that. Because, I mean, 
that's a projection of what you're going to do. And I, I'll see people like, wow, I'm going that fun because I, I, I have $10,000 to be worth $30,000. And Probably the disclosures. I mean, she probably disclosed in there that, again, uh, it's a projection. It's an estimate because we talk about, hey, if we can average 8 10% on average right. per year. Problem is people are now anticipating that they're going to triple their money in five years, and I think they're going to be sorely disappointed, and then she'll lose, I think, a lot of faith yeah. in it. Because even if it doubles in five years, you're not right. going to be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember that years ago was when I first got into business was these guys like, oh, we're going to know 14%. And when we did 12, people disappointed. So that's why we talk about let's be reasonable investing. You know, and again, we, we don't say we do 8 to 10%, but we're saying if you can average 8 to 10%, you're going to do very well uh, over the long term. And that's what your objective should be. But you're right. If you tell somebody you're going to do 14% and you only do 12, still a good return, but ah, nope, I'm disappointed. So, but I, uh, again, I think she's kind of backpedaling because uh, she's lost a fair amount of her assets. I think she was down a third, I believe. Yeah, I, I'm not sure on the exact yeah. amount. Yeah, so it's it's been a difficult. And again, she was a a high flyer, and there was high flyers over the years that you hear about them, and all of a sudden they're gone. I think she's going to be another one that she's hot for a while, and then maybe a year or two down the road, you want Kathy who you know. So. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Jairus. Jairus, you're on the Smart Vegetable. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Good morning, guys. Uh, doing really good. I uh, hope you're doing well. I'm just looking at Nokia. I picked it up uh, back in January, but uh wanted to get into that 5G space and uh, had... Uh, just some thoughts that this might work, but it uh, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Nokia, uh, I, and, I, and I have heard a little bit about them being in the industry, but they are kind of like what I would call the smaller player. But let's look at the numbers here see what we got. Again, the company is Nokia, symbol is N-O-K. Uh, not going to start here, Jarvis. I see a P-E ratio of not material versus 32 for the industry. Price to sales, 1.1. That is better than the industry at 3.7. Price to book value, 3.78. That is also better than the industry because the industry is not material. But there is no price of cash flow in Nokia versus 16 for the industry. Now we see the sales growth for Nokia is actually down 5% year over year. Industry is down only 1%. Earnings per share on this is terrible. Uh, we're down 700% for Nokia, so I'm assuming there's some write-offs there. The industry did have a positive earnings per share growth year over year of 15.7%. Now we see a current ratio is a 1.6 versus 1.8. That is good. Debt to equity for Nokia, 45 versus 71. Return to equity is only, well, it's a negative 14.5 for Nokia versus a positive 18.7. Net profit margin checks in at 9.7 versus a positive 11.8. And we do see receivable turnover is 3.7 versus 5.2. Inventory turnover, 5.4 versus 6. So not quite great fundamentals here. Chase, what about the uh, earnings going forward? Uh, so looking at Nokia here, the current price is $5.16. 52-week high, well, that's $9.79. And 52-week lows, $3.21. I do want to kind of look here at why perhaps their earnings were down so much. You see something? I, I do. Uh, 2020, at the end of the year, their gap earnings per share was a loss of $0.49. Cents. Uh, but their non-gap numbers, they actually made $0.29. Cents. I do see this company is based in, uh, let's see here, I think it's Finland. Yes, Finland is where the company is mm -hmm. based. 
And a lot of times I, I know that the, the currency fluctuation, sometimes companies will like hedge against different things to, to prove uh, to, to have sustainable cash flow. But I, I'm not sure why there's that, that big discrepancy. I'm just kind of speculating on, on the, the currency fluctuation and how that's impacting their balance sheet, in particular write-offs, because their, their gap numbers are all over the place. Uh, so I'm going to take a look here instead of the non-gap numbers to actually get a target sell price. Going out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $0.30, cents, which gives a target of $4.98. So at this time, it is still above the current price of five sixteen. But there, there's a lot to really understand with this, considering it is foreign and, and why is the gap so far off from the non-gap. Yeah. So it, it, what was the target sell price again? Four ninety eight. Four ninety eight. So at five sixteen, it's should be sold, not bought. Yeah. So um, it, why'd you go into this one, Jarvis? Well, I, I, I was hoping the, the whole five G thing would would pay off for Nokia, but uh, obviously there's other players that are doing better, and uh, that was my main reason for it. But uh, come Monday morning, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make money on it though, or how'd you do? Yeah, I'm up about twelve percent right now, so not a lot, but uh, at least not uh, not the other way. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. At least you made money on it, and it's not a great, you know, big profit, but. Uh, and again, it could go higher, but I'd rather see you, especially now, because maybe there's going to be some other good buys going, coming forward. Maybe this is the start of a, of a correction where you can find something else at a better buy and uh, use that cash again and buy something at a good price. All righty? Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, Jairus. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Don. Don, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, fellas. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Excellent. I'm a relatively um, new listener. Okay. Thanks. And first time calling. Um, and kind of new to paying attention to the stock market. And uh, I'm trying to, um, you know, take a little bit of money and, and help it grow a little bit. Good. Uh, I've got my eye on one stock, and I want to see what you guys think about it. Um, the name of the company is Herc Holding. Okay. And you said you are buying it or you hold it already? I hold a, a small amount okay. right now, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking about investing in more. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Herc Products Incorporated, yeah. symbol is H-E-R-C. Unfortunately here, Don, there's no P-E ratio versus 40 for the industry. That tells me that they're not making money over the last 12 months. I do see that the price of sales is zero versus 0.87. No book value, no cash flow. So I'm kind of getting uh, curious here. This could be a, a, a new open, a new a new offering here or something. We do see okay, no dividend. We do see they have sales growth of 11.7% versus a negative 1.6. So that's a positive. Earnings per share did climb by 19.6% year over year. Not as good as the industry growth at 9.45. Uh, I do see current ratio from the balance sheet of 1.2 versus 1.6. So that's good. I do not see a debt to equity, which means they may have no equity in the company. I'll check that when Chase is doing his uh, analysis on, on the earnings going forward. For the industry, we have debt to equity, not material, versus, again, 55 for the industry. Return on equity, this is not good. A negative 582 versus a positive 7.2. We see a net profit margin, a negative 10.3 versus a positive 2.2. Receivable turnover looks good, though, 17.6 versus 3.9. And inventory turnover, another good sign, 49.8 turnover over the last 12 months 
versus 27 uh, for the industry. Chase, any earnings going forward? Well, I, I just got to say, I, I think you picked a, a complicated one here, Don, because the, the numbers, they appear to be bad. But the, the reason that I can kind of start to justify it, and I'm going to say start to justify it because it's going to take a whole lot more research, is what this company actually does. It's rental and leasing services. Ah. So generally with that, they're, yeah. they're going to be more asset light. They're going to carry more financing most likely on the balance sheet, which is completely going to skew the debt to equity. So you really have to understand operationally how much debt does this company have, not what are they carrying in terms of the financing. So I, I'm not going to throw it out the window because a lot of the numbers look bad there, but it just means there's a lot more research that has to be done. Because if I do go forward to next year, 2022, I see the average estimate for earnings per share well, that's $7.48. What actually gives a target sale price of $124.17? So that's not bad. It wouldn't be in our buy category to be like a 30% margin of safety here, but it'd actually be a hold for us. Uh, so I, I, I'd say it, it would definitely take more research, but I, I'm not going to say no to the company or I say I would never buy this company. And, and Chase, I got to ask you, what's the market cap of this company? Looks like about $3 billion. Okay, now this is very strange. Oh, wait a minute. What, what is going on here? Um, the financial statements are not coming up. Uh, why are they? Let me try to update it again because I'm showing when I pull up the financial statements, a balance sheet. Are you, you got something there? Uh, I just realized I looked at the wrong company. Okay. Is it, is it Herc Holdings, Don? I'm sorry, or Herc Products? Yeah, Herc Holdings. H E R C. H-R-I, I believe, is it. Wait, wait which one? Okay, so, right. I, so I'm using H-E-R-C. Is that the right one, Don, or is that the wrong one? I, I believe so. I believe so. Okay. So here's the, the confusing <laughs> part. This is like when Zoom went public right? and people would buy Zoom, Z-O-O-M. Uh, Herc Holdings, the ticker symbol is H-R-I. There's a Herc Products that is excuse me i'm sorry about that yeah I'm, I'm confused about it also yeah okay so so is that yeah. herc holdings or herc products that we're, we're talking about we might I believe it's herc holdings okay so we, so i got i'm all wrong then so so now i gotta do the whole first part over again because uh and what was that symbol you had then h-r-i h-r-i yes h-r-i and and, and uh, don i know you're new to investing this is so important as you can tell to get your symbol uh, correct, because I've actually years ago I had somebody bought the wrong symbol, and they lost all kinds of money. They go, "Oh my gosh, I bought the, well, I yeah. bought the wrong thing." So, so you got to make sure Especially that with you. Especially products, because I looked at that one, and that was oh, her, penny stock. Well, yeah, penny stock. When I looked at, it, they only had like four hundred thousand dollars in cash. I'm thinking <laughs> this is not a good one, Don. We can't have you have this one. Oh uh, yeah, this does look a little bit different. So, Herc Holdings Incorporated, symbol H R I. Now I'll go with these numbers here because they do look better. Uh, P.E. ratio, 27.7 versus not material for the industry. Price of sales, 1.7 versus 3.5. So that's good. Price of tangible book value is 7.9 versus 1.9. And we do see price of cash flow is 5.3. That's about one-third of the industry at 18. So that's a positive. Now, they have seen sales decline 8% year-over-year, but the industry is down 19.9. Earnings per share, however, declined by 114%. When the industry was down 226, the balance sheet does not look that great because I have a current ratio of 1.1 versus 0.4. That's good. What is not good is that the debt, the debt to equity is 206 versus 254. So this is a high debt industry, but I would still want to know you have something on the debt that you saw. Well, again, it's a financing 
Issue. Oh, it's a financing company. Okay, so yeah, financing. It's a leasing okay. company. So, so a leasing company, so therefore they do carry the accounts receivable, okay? So you want to understand more of how much that debt is actually for the company and what it's for the, the receivables. Uh, return to equity looks good, 15.8 versus negative 3. Uh, net profit margin, 6.1 versus a negative 6.2. Receivable turnover, 6.1 uh, versus 4.7. No inventory turnover since a receivable company. I mean, again, like you, Chase, now going through this, I like company but uh don this takes a lot more research to really understand what you have here i know you're kind of new to mm -hmm. investing this company could go up yes. very well or there could be some uh, things lurking in the closet that could destroy the stock price so that so that kind of worries me uh do you know what what they do leasing on or just in general uh, you seen it's equipment well, rental it's my understanding it, it, go ahead, go ahead. well I, it was my understanding that they uh rent and lease um, heavy equipment, as well as to residential and to private um, property owners, uh, they do work with uh, city municipalities and whatnot. Um, so my thinking was, as the as the country moves forward and starts fixing things, companies like Kirk might do well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look at this here. So rents exactly kind of what you're saying is the aerial, earth moving, material handling, trucks and trailers, air compressors, compaction, lighting equipment. Uh, they also have Pro Solutions, which is an industry-specific solution-based services. So it looks like they also offer a service, which is nice, not just the equipment, yeah. which could provide some more, perhaps like reoccurring revenue, a uh, different type of revenue stream. So it, it definitely seems interesting. Um, and uh, after going through the numbers a second time, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm intrigued by it. I, yeah. I definitely agree okay. uh, that it could be a potential area as the economy and perhaps even this could be an infrastructure type play as well, depending on what and how much the municipalities make up of their business. Yeah. And so Don, I think we're saying we like the company it doesn't mean to, to buy it. It means do more research on it because you just want to make sure that it is as good as we think it could be. And there's not some problems that uh, we didn't see here in this short analysis here. And make Already? sure you stay away from Herc products. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> if I've learned anything from this conversation. Or watch Herc products is going to go up like a thousand percent. Oh, yeah. no. no. <laughs> right. 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 Well, Don, well, thanks listen, for calling. I appreciate and... your insight. Thank you. Right. And, uh, you know, I guess we're in a kind of a wait and see time of, um, uh, position on this. And uh, we'll, we'll just see what... Uh, what happens, do a little bit more research, and I do appreciate your advice. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks for calling. You have a good one. All right. You too, guys. Bye-bye. You know, it is funny. I, I, I just had to look up. Herc Products actually trades under a penny. It's not even a, oh. at a penny, and the market <laughs> cap is $500,000. Yeah, I, and I figured, like, <laughs> yeah, something wasn't quite right there. So. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 577-2473. Let's go out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi, guys. The stock I'm looking at is UPS. Okay, do you hold that or looking to buy it? You know, I don't hold it. Uh, you know, I've held FedEx for years, but, you know, UPS is one that I've got on the radar screen. Yeah, and I think I saw they've pulled back a little bit, I believe. So I'm kind of curious to kind of look at this myself to see if this is a time to maybe... Uh, invest in UPS. Uh, so let's take a look at that uh, symbol is UPS. We do see the, the PE ratio 33.5 versus 32. Uh, price to sales of 1.9. That's above the industry at 1.4. Price to book value is 112 versus 12. 
and price of cash flow is 21.7 versus 12.6. So the valuation ratio is not that great, a little bit of concern there. Uh, we do see they pay a 2.1% dividend, use 69% of their earnings to pay that out. Now we have seen sales are up 19.4% year over year. That is better than the industry at 14.3. Earnings per share climbed by 19.5, well below the industry at 82.4. I look at the balance sheet here, we see a current ratio of 1.3 versus 1.4. The problem I've always had with UPS, and now that I see it, I remember, is their balance sheet. They have a debt to equity of 332 versus 130. And I don't understand that debt. I might take a quick look at the balance sheet while Chase is doing the, the other numbers there. But that's an awful lot of debt to have. And it's always made me, I think, feel a bit queasy. Uh, would you say return on equity is 98 versus 27? Net profit margin, 5.8 versus 4.4. And receivable turnover is 9.8 versus 8.1. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for UPS, $198.05. 52-week high is $219.59. We have seen that slight pullback there. But the 52-week low is $105.48. Now, unfortunately, I go out to December 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $11.55 would give us a target sell price of $191.73. So unfortunately, still below the current price of $198.05. And I like the industry. I, I know it's something that still uh, is likely to be growing as, you know, the shipping is, is going to continue to be a kind of necessity in our everyday <laughs> lives. But uh, I just can't justify it at this price. And I did take a quick look at the balance sheet. It's going to take a little more analysis to kind of really understand more about it. I mean, but but the debt is actually down. The debt, uh, let me see, am I looking at years here or quarters? Let me just check that real quick. Um, yeah, so so year over year, their debt actually has come down uh, from $28 billion down to $23 billion, And the equity has gone up from $3.3 billion to $7.1 billion. So that's a positive. But I would still want to know, uh, what is this debt? I mean, it, it's a pretty high debt. I we held FedEx for for a while. I don't remember their debt was that high. It's not. Um, so I I don't know, and I think you own uh, <laughs> FedEx, though, John. I, I'd want to know right. the comparison of FedEx to UPS. Why do they have so much debt on their balance sheet? And I and I think I a lot of that's one reason because we looked at both of these kind of during the pandemic last year, saying well, people are staying at home. We want to. Right. probably take place and have a company that's kind of benefiting from all the shipping that's occurring and kind of building customer relationships with it. And I, I remember we stayed away from UPS because of the debt to equity. It, yeah. it seems like it's been a problem for them for years, but um, you know, I, I'm not sure where that debt's stemming from, if it's maybe stock buybacks or something like that that's yeah. elevating it. So um, the reason we went with FedEx, not UPS. Yep, exactly. All right, John. Okay, sounds good. All right, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I want to mention the workshop coming up uh, this Thursday. It'll be the last time we talk about it until uh, we see people on June 24th, 6 o'clock at uh, Alesmith Brewery on Miramar Road. And, and at these workshops, we do spend, I mean, I, I speak about different things going on. You kind of go over the fundamentals of the balance sheet, the income statement. I mean, we really, and you actually do the part where uh, we, we, you show the target sell prices, how we do that. So it's a well, well thought out workshop that I think within an hour, people learn a lot of information. Uh, and it's just a pleasure, you know, out there speaking with people and, and actually getting to talk to people. 
Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, things are pretty much open now. And, yeah. you know, I had 100% capacity there. And uh, masks wouldn't be required because, you know, yeah. past June 15th. So yeah. uh, we're, we're excited <laughs> to, to be there. And, and actually, and we have, I think a lot of people, because they had a nice food truck there. They had food. They had beers. They had a good time. And they I think they all walked out smarter than when we came in. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I, I think so. That, that's the goal. So uh, that is going to be, again, this Thursday, June 24th at 6 o'clock at Alesmith Brewery. Uh, we'd love to see you there. We promise you we'll learn uh, new information about investing. That's actually new information about old information has been around for a long time. <laughs> uh, but what you got to do, you got to sign up for the workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can call the office, uh, speak with Brianna, uh, 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. And we look forward to seeing you at the workshop Thursday, June 24th at Ale Smith Brewery. All right, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Greg. Greg, you're on the Smart Vest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, well, you, you do what you do. I was interested in uh, Xerox Holdings, XRX, what your view was. Okay, and do you hold that, uh, Greg, or look at buying it? Well, I've been holding it a, a while now since uh, just, well, March of last year. I got in fairly well with the pandemic. It was good for some people and very bad for others. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and actually Xerox did come across my screen, I'm going to say, a while ago, so I'm kind of... Kind of glad to kind of look at it again and see what it looks like. So coming again is Xerox Holdings Corporation, symbol is XRX. Uh, I'm wondering if it's time to move on or pick up some more. Yeah, that's what we're going to look at here for you. Let's do a quick analysis and we'll try to point in the right direction. Uh, we do see a good start with a P-E ratio at 22.1 versus 63. Price to sales looks very good, 0.7 versus 4.1. Price to book value, 3.4 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash flow for Xerox, that's 7.8 versus 22. So the valuation ratio is looking pretty good for Xerox. What I also like is they get a nice dividend of 4.3%. They use 93% of their earnings to pay that out, which is a little bit high, but hopefully their earnings, earnings can rise. So that will come down as far as a payout ratio. But it's not looking yeah, good for Xerox. My history, I've got limited view. I don't have the tools you guys do. Sure. But. That's why we're sharing here with you. So uh, one I don't like when I look at the growth rates here, and, and again, we were comparing to the pandemic here, uh, yeah. sales are down 21%. Uh, industry is up 44 and earnings per share for Xerox fell by 55% when the industry was up 8.8. So I wish they did it better over the last year. I'd want to know why they didn't do so well. Looking at the balance sheet, we got a current ratio of 2.1% versus 1.3, that's positive. Debt to equity, 77 versus 72, that's okay. Return to equity is four versus 12.8, that's not very good, I'd like to see that higher. Net profit margin, 3.4 versus 6.4. And I do see some good receivable turnover here, 6.7 versus 4.8, but the inventory turnover could be a problem, 5.2 versus 19.2. Chase, you got a look on your face over there, look at the earnings that maybe you're not liking what you're seeing. No, it's just, just kind of, Pondering, pondering what I think of this company. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the current price here for Xerox, $23.63. 52-week high, $26.96. And 52-week low is $14.51. Now, I go out to December 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $2.22. 
would give us a target sell price of $36.85. So that's positive. But there's just some strange things with this coming. Like in 2019, they made $3.55 a share. What happened? That, that's a right. huge decline. And are they going to be able to come back from that? Other thing is, what exactly does the company do? I mean, we know about their printers, obviously. Right. What else says document, uh, document management systems, IT services. So I'm curious their different business lines and you know what's growing for them. What is that potential again, source of growth? justify buying this business and i i, I want to say carl icon was involved in xerox in some way but there was something supposed to happen with hp i thought i don't know if that fell off the table or if that's still a possibility yeah i, I don't remember that i was just kind of sitting here wondering as well that uh, what you want to kind of look at here greg is that maybe they're going more i'll say high tech for lack of a better term like you know docusign has done very well what is xerox doing because again the, the printing of the copies uh, that is kind of declining. What are they doing to be current and for the future? Because, yeah, I, I see the earnings back in 2019 were far higher, uh, and they don't go out very far. Did you check the number of analysts, Chase, that we have in this company? Uh, uh, I did not, but no. uh, five. Five, yeah, so that's not, that's not very many. I, I, I like this, but I, I would not run out and buy it, Greg, because it's, it's just I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I could be missing something. But I think it's worth the research because it, it has some potential to it. The target sell price is what you said, 35 Yeah, well, my take real quickly is like, you know, it's been around forever, I think, because it used to be synonymous with copies. Well, we got to go make a Xerox, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's changed, of course, over the years now. And uh, then fast forward, I think the, the lousy numbers are just the last couple of quarters due to the pandemic. And they're trying to reinvent, you know, or still adjust, grow into the new technologies. I just didn't know <clears throat> what your uh, forward numbers are. That's what I can't uh, do for myself very mm -hmm. easily. I can look up, you know, a hundred different ways to do it, but if it's a reliable number or not, I'll never know. Yeah, because the numbers look good, so we, we gave you that. I think what you have to do, Greg, is kind of look to see what the company is doing going forward. Uh, and again, you're so yeah, right. Yeah, market that, a hold, I guess. I don't know. You're not. I mean, you're not advocating like it's time to move on, take the take the money, and and move on. No, Just hang on to it for a bit. Yeah, no, I, I think hold on to it for a bit. But I I would want you to understand more about what they have going forward, because yeah. um, I I would hate to see this go the the route for like a better term where it's pick on Polaroid. Uh, you know, Polaroid is a great company, and then they didn't keep up with technology. Is Xerox right. keeping up with the technology is a big question. Because if they are, this could be a great buy. If they yeah, still think, you know. We cameras too, didn't we? <laughs> right. yeah, so. so, yeah. So, I, I, we, we like it. But it's just, uh, I, if I was going to invest into it, which, again, it's been on my desk, I think, for two or three months. It hasn't gone past the look at this yeah, uh, <laughs> company to actually earnings. do the research on it yet. It takes a lot of time. So. They've got another earnings coming up. I was kind of waiting for that one and see what happens. And then I watch, uh, I keep a limit running. I don't have it stuck in there so they can uh, chase it, but I, I keep a limit. And it's getting near that yeah. time to regardless. So. Yeah, and, and what you should do when the conference call, when they, when they, when they announce the earnings, listen or read the conference call to understand what they're talking about the future. That's a great thing to do. And I was going to say, yeah. I'm not crazy. HP did reject a bid for Xerox back in 2019. Carl Icahn went against that bid and actually grew a stake to over 14% at the end of last year. 
And I say he bought more even earlier this year. So it looks like Carl Icahn is a major stakeholder in this company. Yeah, I believe he owns it too. And I have some of of his uh, IEP. So Okay. Well, good, Greg. Yeah, so uh, worth the research. So have a great one. Thank you very much, gentlemen. You too. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, gosh, we got, I think, about 30 seconds left. So great show today. A lot of different topics today. Oh, yeah. A lot of different topics. I mean, uh, a lot of interesting different topics, like yeah. making sure you look at the right ticker symbol. I mean, that's yeah. one that uh, is really important, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm glad we kind of were able to cover a bunch of different things. Yeah. yeah. Talk about we'll, inflation, interest rates. That's right. Yeah. Wide, wide variety today. And we'll be talking more at the workshop on uh, this Thursday at uh, Alesmith Brewery, 6 o'clock. Uh, you know, love to see a lot of people there. Yeah, and uh, happy Father's Day to you, and well, happy you. Father's Day to all our fathers that are listening. Yes, yes, thank you for remembering that, and uh, yeah, it's going to be tomorrow. I hope they got big plans for tomorrow. I know I got all the kids coming over, and they're going to have a great barbecue. I do have two wiener dogs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 858- 546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters Refinitive. Closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by local entertainer, Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.